So for the last three weeks of this Sunday school class, uh, beginning this morning, October 30th, we're going to skip October 30th because we have a congregation meeting during Sunday school, so everybody's going to just, it'll push it back one week so that it'll end on November the 6th. Um, but for the last three weeks of the class, beginning this morning, we're going to talk about parenting, and specifically we're going to talk about uh, parenting while our children are still in our homes. So this is, probably covers most of the people um, in this room. Um, lots of resources, lots of sources for this. Uh, of course, scripture. Um, Jim Neuheiser, you, uh, you may have heard me talk about uh, the Neuheiser, Neuheiser uh, Fitzpatrick book, You Never Stop Being a Parent, and then many other books, uh, many other sources, CCEF and Wayne Mack, and well, not Wayne Mack, but uh, other sources. So there's a lot of different sources. My own experiences, a lot of, a lot of just Kathy and me uh, learning as we, as we went along. Uh, so this class is going to be more of kind of a, this class is really designed to get one point across. And hopefully by the end of it, you'll have that point. And if you don't, I'll reaffirm it over and over again at the end so you know that there's really one. If, if you were to ask me, okay, what is your, what is your big mantra that you would tell, tell a young parent? And I'd say, it's this. And that's kind of what this class is, uh, is about. The next class will be about Ephesians um, 6, about, you know, uh, raise your children in the Lord and um, don't exasperate them, those kinds of things. And then the last one will be, okay, what, you know, what are some things that you might want to concentrate on getting accomplished in your parenting before your kids leave your house? You know, what, are, there things, are there things you want to get done uh, before they are gone? And uh, I'm going to give you some suggestions uh, for some of those things. Uh, I want to go back again and read some preliminary remarks. So look carefully then, it's Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the very next, the very next uh, verse begins with wives and husbands, has that section, and then the very next one after that is children and parents, and then right after that is bond servants and masters, or we would call employers and employees. So it's interesting that you have that Ephesians 5.18 you know, be married like somebody who's in control. Don't be, don't be an out-of-control parent. Uh, don't be an out-of-control husband. Don't be an out-of-control wife, child, uh, parent, employer, employee. Um, so let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that it, uh, we, find, we find you in every single page, every word, every jot and tittle. Uh, that you give yourself to us, and you love us, and uh, there are transactions taking place spiritually through the pages of Scripture, through the means of grace, really. And I pray you'd grow us in, uh, in, uh, as parents, grow us as friends, grow us in all of the ways uh, that you uh, have created us, uh, that we might uh, love you and love uh, everybody else that comes across our path, and particularly in this context, uh, our children. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there are, let me give you uh, five preliminary remarks. First, there are two general views of parenting. Um, certainly, 
uh, at least of preteens and teens, and maybe for some of you for adolescents as well. Uh, the first view is attributed to Mark Twain. When a child turns 12, you should put him in a barrel. Uh, you should nail the lid down and feed him through a knot hole until he turns 16, at which time you plug up the hole. Um, uh, the second view is that the child raising years, and particularly the teenage years, and I know you think, well, that's so far off. It is really not that far off. Um, the child raising years are years not simply to endure, but, but years to treat as an age of opportunity. Um, I think Paul David Tripp wrote a book called Age of Opportunity. Uh, it is difficult raising children. Um, it is maybe the hardest job in the world. Uh, we may not like them all the time, and they may not like us all the time, but it's also a privilege and a gift. It is not something to endure. It is not something to try to do just a good enough job to keep them alive until they can leave and then you exhale. Um, it's tempting, but it's not a good philosophy. Second thing is this will be a class on parenting, not perfect parenting to create perfect children. Um, there are no cookie cutter. Uh, there are principles in scripture, but there are no cookie cutter ways to raise children. Children are different. And so you raised, you know, you, you hear the guy say, well, you know, one thing I liked about that coach, he treated every player the same. But that's not a good coach. Why? Because every player is not the same. And you've got to, you've got to treat people in appropriate ways. Um, in fact, the older I get, the more thankful I am for God's promises uh, and his grace and his sovereignty and his wisdom. Because the truth of the matter is I would stay discouraged. Even today, I would stay discouraged if I believed at the end of it all that the spiritual welfare of my children depended upon my perfect parenting. Um, you know, the biblical principles are clear. Gospel principles are clear. Application, not always so clear. Um, third, there are lots and lots of hurting, anxious, depressed children and teenagers in the world. They're trying as hard as they can to fit in somewhere. They're trying to live up to expectations, and a lot of them are the expectations of the parents in this room. <clears throat> Children today feel pressure from the inside, and they feel pressure from the outside, and they feel pressure from within their own families. There are body image issues that are just driving kids and parents crazy. Uh, there are people, there are kids who really subconsciously believe that, wor that their worth and that love for them hinges on their performance or on their looks. It could be athletic, it could be physical appearance, any, any of these sorts of things. Um, I remember distinctly, I remember distinctly in the seventh grade, this thought, will I ever have a date? Mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember thinking that, you know, uh, um, and I, our son Ken really opened up a window for me when he was in about the, he may have been in the 12th grade, maybe in the 11th, 12th grade, and uh, we were just uh, talking, about, uh, I think Kathy was, you know, how things going or whatever, and he just sort of opened up a little bit and let us understand the pressures he felt about one, one or two particular areas of his life. And I was like, what? From the outside, I thought, I, I could see none of that. Um, fourth, and uh, this is at Ephesians 5.18 uh, repeatedly, uh, this, Ephesians 5.18 provides a template for all of Christian living, every area of Christian living, in the, in the, in the workplace, in the home, uh, as parents. Uh, let's not parent like out-of-control drunk people. Let's parent out of what is true of us in Christ. We are redeemed, adopted, beloved children of the King of Kings. Um, you know, children find it hard to grow up 
with out-of-control parents or sinless parents. Um, sometimes one of the, one of the struggles that um, I think uh, parents have is with kids as they get older is to try to figure out how and when is it appropriate to open the window up a little bit to my past and be vulnerable and say, well, let me tell you some things about your dad that you probably didn't know. You know, it's kind of, that's a hard, and I'm not telling you that I have that figured out, but that's been an issue uh, that I have struggled with some in the past. Um, and so really at the most fundamental level, parenting is really more about parents than it is about children. Um, the last preliminary thing is remember that the heart changes we desire for our children are beyond our power. None of us can change any of the hearts of any of our children. We can't, uh, you know, unless a man is born again, I can't make my kid be born again. I can use the means of grace. But those heart changes are not beyond the power of our King, Jesus. And so at some level, the course we have must be to trust and obey and pray and not be controlled by our fears. Um, not to beat ourselves up for all of our past mistakes. <laughs> Not to parent out of some control mechanism so our kids will be spared some of the stuff maybe we went through. And so what I say to you today is that today is the first day of the rest of your parenting life. Okay, so um, a lot of this material here uh, I, I've, I've kind of picked and chosen from different materials and different books. Um, in the Neuheiser Fitzpatrick book, um, the question, uh, you know, of, of, the, of, the, of the lesson is, is it that time already? Now, he's talking about people that are getting ready to leave the nest, so to speak. Um, and the truth is, is that there are cases where children, for good reasons, continue to live at home with their parents. Most parents generally raise their kids with what expectation? Yeah, the one day that, that they're going to, at some point, leave the house and establish a home of their own. General rule, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the reason I really want to talk about this, lay this groundwork before, is because your children are growing up much faster than you think they are. I went to uh, First Watch, I don't know, sometime within the last year. And all four Edwards kids were sitting in the booth with Dana and Andy. And they're sitting there having a big meal together. And uh, there may even be a, a present on the bed, I mean, on the, a present on the table, I don't remember. But Dana looks at me and she says, do you remember where you were 18 years ago today? And I was like, I'm going to guess I was at the hospital <laughs> and you were having hunt. And she said, that's right. Um, so um, it's, it's really, it's, it's a lot faster than you think. The, you know, I heard a guy say, he said, he, he said this mainly to dads, but it can apply to dads or, or moms. He said, be careful how many times you tell your child in a minute. Dad, would you, you know, come you know, look for worms with me in a minute? Because so many times the in a minute turns into, it just never happens. Uh, take advantage of the time you have. So these are going to be four life scenarios I'm going to read to you. And I want you to think, these seem so far off to you as to be irrelevant. When I read these, you go, why is he telling this? My kids are, you know, my oldest one's 10. So scenario number one, Kate's father wants her to major in pre-med in college and then be a doctor so that she can be financially independent. 
the problem? Kate doesn't want to be a doctor. Instead, her priorities are get out of college, marry a wonderful Christian man that she's met, get a job better suited to her desires and talents. To further complicate things, her father has forbidden her to marry this particular young man because he is not a part of the same Christian denomination as Kate's family. What should Kate do? Don't answer. <laughs> Scenario number two, Bill and Eileen have worked very hard to build a successful business. Both of their grown children have come back to live at home and spend most of their time playing video games and looking at Facebook. What should Bill and Eileen do? And this is much closer to a scenario y'all may face. <laughs> Scenario number three, Bob and Linda have five wonderful children among whom there generally have been good, healthy relationships. Recently, however, their 18-year-old daughter has begun to buck against some of her parents' standards and preferences. She even has stopped going to her parents' church and has expressed interest in attending some contemporary churches where her friends attend. What should Bob and Linda do? Fourth scenario, last, John and Jill are getting married. They can only invite a certain number of people to the rehearsal dinner. This one comes close to home, doesn't it? <laughs> there are some people John's parents want to invite whom, G whom John and Jill do not even know and don't want to invite. And there are others whom John and Jill are close to and really want to invite. Since John's parents are paying for the rehearsal dinner, do they get to say who is invited? Well, um, we could spend a good bit of time talking about that last one. Um, <laughs> At some level, the answers to these questions really depend upon parenting goals. And so the question I have to you is, what are your parenting goals? I mean, if you wrote down, if you wrote down on a piece of paper, what are your parenting goals? What are they? Have you ever talked as a couple about your parenting goals as a couple? I don't remember Kathy and me ever talking about parenting goals. Now, maybe we did after some kind of seminar or something, but I have no memory of us sitting down and saying, okay, Let's figure out where we're going with all this. What are you called to do as parents? You know, the truth of the matter is, is most parents, at least I could say many if not most, even Christian parents, we simply wing it and hope that things will turn out okay. Um, we're hoping to be a good enough parent. But we don't, do it, we don't put a lot of thought into it. We don't really think about it very well. We just kind of wing it. By the way, there's outlines back there in the back that I left and I forgot to point out. Um, so here's a, here's a question for you. Is it your goal as a parent? Is it your goal as a parent to control your children for as long as you can? To think for your children until they leave home and then expect them to think for themselves? Or is it your goal to raise responsible adults who know how to think, who know how to process life through the gospel, whose chief end really is to glorify and enjoy God, who will live wisely in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? What's your goal? What do you want to raise? Well, the bottom line is, if we want a parent like that, if we want a parent in order to raise responsible adults who know how to think in gospel-centered ways. We have got to learn to think in gospel parenting ways, and we've got to have conversations with our children that are aimed at helping them think and helping them process in gospel-centered ways. We have got to shepherd their hearts and not just their behaviors. And let me say this about sports. 
youth sports will youth sports will grab your attention like nothing else will. And you will put untold hours into your kids with their youth sports that will make the time you put in, into them discipling look paltry. I could not count. I have a bad shoulder, probably, because of the baseballs I threw to my oldest son. And I wanted him to be the best baseball player on every team he played on. And you know why? For me. When he did well, I was happy. When he didn't do well, I was bummed. So I'm just telling you, I'm not, I'm not going to teach a whole class on that, but you could teach a whole semester on that. Be careful on the youth sports. It will lead you into areas that will ta it'll take you places as a parent enormous amounts of time um, that really, you know, quite honestly, Kurt's 31 now, and you know what? Nobody cares if he can hit a curveball. <laughs> mm -mm. And guess who? Most of all, he doesn't. Um, so, um, you know, John Wayne parenting, uh, parental dictatorships, uh, focusing on behavioral modification because you would want everybody to think you're a good parent. Uh, these are all easier. It's easier to be a dictator. It's easier to be very uh, tough with your kids. It's easier to do that than have thoughtful discussion and shepherding their hearts. It's easier to do that than have an explanation or a discussion with your kids. It's easier. To, I mean, it's just easier to snatch them up and, you know, you're stronger than they are. You're bigger than they are. Uh, you, you, can, you can have your way with them now. But in 15 years, you will not. Right now, here's what's happening. If I had a, if I could do, uh, so um, right here, your child is zero and your influence is at its highest point. But every year that your child gets older, your power goes down. So when your child gets to be 30, you have no more power over them, unless you use money. I mean, some parents, some parents will, will control their children with their money. But other than that, but here's the thing. Just as the age continues, if you shepherd their hearts, not only what, ha what goes up right along with them is your influence. Influence, gospel influence continues to go, just walk right with them. Um, so, you know, the, the easy way of parenting is like everything else. The easy way is almost always the wrong way. Uh, now, I say almost because sometimes parental fiat command is important when that child's running to the street. It's like, stop. If they don't stop, I'm going to spike them, and I'm going to tell them why. You may not understand the physics of trucks and small children, but it doesn't work out well for the child. And so there are times when that's necessary, but, but generally, uh, shepherding the heart is better. So what's the task before us as a parent? Well, if we're so blessed, our children will become self-governing, authors of this book, become self-governing and ready for adulthood long before it's time to release them from home. Um, and I gotta say this, in fact, I'm probably gonna say it again in a minute, but I, I will say that relationships with grown children is one of the best things in the world. And I, I, I know I'm sure it can be terrible, and I'm sure there are cases where it's not that great. But I'm, I'm very thankful for the relationships that I now have with my grown children and the, and the relationships they have with each other. Uh, it's, it's really, it's wonderful. And, and, and children can be raised in such a way that when they leave home and go somewhere else, that they view home as a warm, wonderful place, you know, to come home to. 
You know, they, they look forward to coming home. I mean, they're 30 years old or 35 years old. But they, where are you going? We're going, we're, going, we're going home for the weekend. Well, I thought you lived in Memphis. Yeah, well, I'm talking, I'm talking about Oxford where we grew up. And so that's, a, you know, that's just a, a wonderful thing. Uh, now, a, a side note here is that we want to remember that while we're uh, seeking to raise our children to become wise adults, that we need to remember that we're, we're also preparing ourselves for an almost empty nest. And the reason I say almost is because y'all are, you know, you're still there. I mean, when our last child, Ken, you know, moved away, the nest wasn't empty. We were still there. And so you hear these families say, oh, we're empty nest. And it's, you know, man, it's great. And some people say empty nest and it's awful. Because sometimes what happens is for many parents in child-centered homes, the children are the glue that holds the family together. And all of a sudden they look up and the child's gone. Uh, you know, here's a husband or a wife who's built his life or her life around the children. And all of a sudden they're gone. Uh, you know, and, and, and this, this husband or this wife who's been spending most of her time or his time paying attention to the children and not to the other spouse, all of a sudden it's like, who is this guy that I'm left with? You know, the calendar on the, on the, on the refrigerator is empty now, mostly. You know, you don't have nine soccer games and every kind of school activity that's going on. And so, you know, the truth of the matter is for some people, uh, you know, that when the, the end of the children in the home means the end of the marriage. I mean, now that they're gone, what do we do? What do we talk about? This massive part of our life work is gone. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't count how many sack lunches Kathy made. No, I couldn't count them. And so all of a sudden, you know, now what happens? Um, and so what we, with, with all of the years of our history and all the shared experiences we have, our spouse really can be our best friend and our chief ministry partner. And really the empty nest years, as they call it, I should say the almost empty, can be some of the best years. We, I mean, I love, I think, Kathy, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, um, and so as the gospel continues to grow, uh, homes can increasingly become warm, special places that our adult children want to visit. Um, I'll say this, I don't know if this is a good thing to say or not, but because um, it makes me sound like I'm really this great servant and I'm not totally that. But one of the things we've kind of said is, is that when our kids come home, that when they come home, it's like it's their time. They don't wash dishes. They don't clean off the table. They don't do their share. When they get through eating, hey, you know, y'all need any help? No, 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 y'all go, y'all go in the in the den and just kind of visit, because I want it to be a place where they come and they just get served, just you know, the whole time they're there. Uh, that's, and so I, I, I and, and I think it blesses them, right? I mean, I can remember one time I'm like, all right, deadbeat, clean the table off, you know, that kind of stuff. When they're younger, you know, um, but I've kind of changed about that. And so uh, the truth is, is that most of you, where your children are young and they're in your home, you have the right and you have the responsibility, you even have the obligation to oversee pretty much every part of their lives. Uh, we have this saying in our family, uh, you know, like, like, like if you're the charger, if you're the charger, you're not, I'm not talking about the Oxford chargers. If you're the charger, that means you're in charge. And so um, uh, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes one of our kids, or maybe more grandkids, but um, you know, might look at me. I think I, this happened with a grandchild, if I remember correctly. They might look at me, and, and I told them to do something or something. And I think this particular one may have looked at me and said, "You're not the charger." 
And I'm kind of like, well. And his, his parent was nearby and heard it and said, no, 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 no. When you're here at, you know, at Big's house, he is kind of, he's kind of, the, he's one of the chargers, you know. Uh, it's kind of like who gets to say, you know, that kind of thing. But the truth is, as our children grow up, our training process has to include, we have to give up more and more of the daily control. We have to give our children more freedom to make their own choices and decisions and learn from the choices and learn from the decisions. And it'll help them learn to make wise choices in real life. And now we hope while they're in the home that they'll learn while they've still got a safety net to make good choices. And what about when they make bad choices? Well, that's when, it's, that's when we have to, that's when it's really important that our children, that they believe that they can talk to us about anything. Your children have got to believe that they can talk to you about, about anything, that they can talk to you about their bad choices, that they can understand that bad choices invite consequences, that they're sowing and reaping principles at work in the world, but they can't be scared to talk to you about it. But let me say this, this kind of relationship has got to start really, really early. This is not something that kicks in when they get into junior high. Because the truth of the matter is when they get to junior high, that's when they're making bad choices. And so from the very beginning, you've got to cultivate this, 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 this uh, atmosphere where people, their children believe they can, they can talk to you. So here, here's the choice. The choice for parents is this. Will we fight to maintain control over our children at every age and often with money? You'll be shocked at how much you might kind of control your kids through money. Um, well, after all we've done for y'all, I mean, we've gotten the condominium in Florida every year now for six years. And that's really the way y'all are going to be towards us. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around, like I'm hearing the gospel-centered, teaching them how to think and that yeah. being gospel-centered, but also not doing not controlling. Yeah. So where is that, like as best you can, like that middle? Well, right now where you are, you're controlling. Right. I mean, because they were how old? Six and? Five and almost. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, basically what it is, as far as I can tell, it's a process of slowly loosening the, the net a little bit and sort of bringing them along in a way where you're talking to them about things in ways that, like I said, when they're running toward the street, there's no conversation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, th- th- there's no conversation. It's just that, you know, look, let me tell you something. When Daddy tells you to stop, you stop. And if you don't stop, I'm going to spank you. Now, I may, I may sit him down. He's going to look like that. I may sit him down and say, now let me explain to you why. Because y- you don't understand that trucks aren't looking for little kids. Um, and you could get killed. And part of my responsibility is to protect you. You know, and there's nothing wrong with having the explanation after it. My My... My point is more uh, about as your kids, as they continue to age, there are ways you've got you've to find a way to let them make decisions, and they could be bad decisions. Here's a perfect example. Let's take a hypothetical 16-year-old boy who has a lawn business <laughs> who says this. Dad, he says, um, I've got three lawns to uh, cut tomorrow, but I really want to go to my friend's house and spend the night and then get up in the morning and go to Double Decker, and then I'm going to cut the yards tomorrow afternoon, uh, you know, late. 
And let's just say the hypothetical dad says, well, I have an alternative for you here. Well, I think what you'd be better to do is probably why don't you stay home that night so you don't sleep in and go ahead and knock the, you know, knock, knock out the yards either late that day or early Saturday morning. Then you can go with your friends to Double Decker and you can stay as, you know, as much longer. 16-year-old son says, Dad, I've got this. Dad says, okay. So uh, the next day, as the son has spent the night out and he stayed up too late and he slept too late, he gets to double-decker for two hours or maybe three hours. His friends all get to stay. He comes home looking like he's lost his best friend. What's wrong? Well, I've got to cut those yards. Okay, now that's when the desire for the parent to say, you know, I told you so. <laughs> Um, but, but, but so that's a, that's a non-sinful, it wasn't sinful for him to decide to wait to cut the yards. It wasn't harmful, wouldn't go harm him, wouldn't go harm anybody else. But it was, it was a place where I could have easy, oh, oh, I've given away who it was. <laughs> I, I mean, I could have easily cross-examined him for a while. I could have easily said, well, you know what, that's really about the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> and I probably, if I had pressed him enough, I might could have pressured him into doing that. But what would I have done? I would just simply, again, uh, just reinforce, I'm grown, I'm your dad, and I get to tell you what to do, and I'm not interested in anything. I'm not interested in you making any decisions because I think you're just dumb. And so what I, what I, just one of the you know, rare times that I was actually able to say, you know, okay, just, you got this. You know, you go ahead and get it. And uh, many, many other, I mean, there, there are many, I mean, there are many times when you, Especially when they get in the teenage years, and, and you uh, you wanna you wanna say something, you want you wanna micromanage them. I, I treated my, my I treated my oldest child, my daughter, when she was a teenager, when she was 18. I expected her to be to act like a 35 year. A th I expected her to act like a 30 year old, uh, very mature Christian woman who had been an RUF intern at Yale for uh, for like a semester or a year or two years. And so everything she said was a, was a federal case. Everything she said, I would, I would, I would take on. I walked, through the, I walked through the bedroom one time. She's on the computer, and she's doing And all of a sudden, she said something that was just goofy to me. I just thought, that's just a goofy, that's a goofy thing to say. That's a goofy worldview statement. And so I was walking through the, walking through the bedroom, and I, I just, I, when she said it, I just sort of started to stop, and I uh, just walked right on through the bedroom. <laughs> I didn't say a word. And later on that day, she said, Dad, so what she said, that was really good. And I said, what? She said, two hours ago, I was at the computer, I was looking at something, I said something, and as soon as you were walking through the room, I said it. I knew it was dumb, you knew it was dumb. I was all braced for you to stop and give me a three-point, you know, worldview sermon, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was really, I was almost ready for it, and you just, you kept walking. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Um, but so, uh, you know, this is the thing that, uh, you know, for us to, to, to think through is that, uh, you know, we are chargers when they're, when they're younger. But as they get, as they get older, um, you know, we've, we've got to be, we've got to be thinking about ways to let them make the choices and learn from their decisions. And, uh, and of course, there's a million dis, uh, examples y'all could give. And so here's what I want to tell you. Let me, let me talk fast because here's what, as you're going to learn as you grow up <laughs> as parents, you're going to learn one of your greatest parenting challenges, particularly as your child gets older, 
is not to give your opinion about everything they say and everything they do. It's not to just constantly be just barrages of opinions and, and all these sorts of things. Look, they're children. They're children, and even as they're teenagers, they're not through baking. It's like, a, it's like a loaf of bread. You put it in the oven, it may look great on the outside, but it's raw on the inside. You're 15. You're, listen, you may not remember how smart you are when you were 16, but your kids, when they're 16, they really, really think they know better than you do. And rather than lord it over them that they're idiots and you're smart, it's a time to shepherd them and to bring them along and enter into their world and say, well, tell me why you think that. Um, and often, because of the way we interact with our kids, our children of all ages can get the feeling that they never can do anything right. They, they can never do anything good enough for us. Dads can be, we can be, dads particularly, we can be so hard on kids. And we're smarter than they are, right? We have quicker minds. We can go boom, 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 boom. I would cross-examine my kids. I cross-examined Kurt one time, and he just, he shut down. I said, no, 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 we're going to talk about this. We're going to hash this out. And he's like, no, Dad, there's really no sense in it. And I said, why? He said, because when you get like this, you start cross-examining me, you know where you're going, and what I say doesn't matter. So I might as well just be quiet. I'm telling you, kids can think they never can do anything right, or they're just not good enough for us. And it's tough. And, the, you know, the truth of the matter is when we give our opinions to our adult children, you know, it's pretty sobering to know, guess what? The best thing we're doing is offer them counsel because they don't have to do what we say. <laughs> you know, you tell 30-year-olds some, some thoughts. Dad, I appreciate that, but we're grown now, you know. They want to buy a house. You walk through the house and go, okay, this is the worst, creepiest house I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, and they've asked you to come with them to look at it. Hypothetically. <laughs> We go, to the, we go to this one house and go in the kitchen, and there's a door right here. I open the door, and there's a brick wall. <laughs> there's no room. It's just somehow somebody just was saving money and didn't want to sheetrock it or whatever, and they said, well, we're going to build a room on the other side, but we'll just leave the door there. And, and we're walking around, and those children, are, at least one of them, is talking favorably about the house, and I'm just like with Kathy in the car going, okay, I don't know what to do, but I really want to. They ask us to come with them, so does that mean they want us to give input or what? But it was wild. I mean, it was wild. Um, yeah, hypothetically. Did they get the house? They got the other house, which I thought was a great house. But I'm telling you, I had to get in the car and think, shut your mouth. But then I said, I can't. Cujo lived next door. That was another thing. This slobbering, mean, mastiff dog just barking like crazy. And I said, okay, you got to throw that up. You got to throw that dog a cyanide lace pork chop or something. Oh, y'all don't even know who Cujo is. Cujo was a bit really mean dog in some movie. Um, but see, here, here's the thing. Our, our, our hope is this. Our hope is that if a relationship of openness and mutual respect has been developed with our children over the years, they'll seek and heed our counsel as people who know them well and who love them and have their best interests at heart. All right, so here, this is the end of it. This is our biggest encouragement to parents who still have children in the home, which is most of you here. While your children are growing up in the home, set the table of relationship with them in the most attractive gospel way possible. Don't just have a bare table and a bottle of ketchup and a roll of paper towels. Don't look like a men's ministry meal. <laughs> look like a women's ministry meal. Nice white cloth, beautiful runner, flowers in the middle, 
um, set the table of relationship as beautiful as possible. Intentionally, through your words and actions, make Jesus an ever-present member of your household. Not just a church, but he's a member of your household because you talk about him and you pray to him and you think through things in ways like that. May the, I heard a, a guy at a wedding when he was, uh, uh, say, the, you know, the end of the wedding, he said, may the name of Jesus be the most mentioned name in your home. That you pray, you pray always, you pray without ceasing in every context of life. Gospel principles and atmosphere is present. Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, where Christ is just, he's just a part of the family, right? He's really the head of the family. Seek to communicate in every way possible that Jesus is more than enough for any issue of life. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you interact with your children, help them understand that they really can talk with you about anything and that you will listen and you won't immediately lose your temper or lecture them or discipline them. Help them understand it's okay and even good to talk with you about temptations to drink or experiment with drugs or sex, pornography. Your son says, Dad, I'm, you know, I was over at my friend's house. And you're able to say, yep, bud. That is a fierce temptation, isn't it? I'm just a big, bigger version of you. I've struggled with that myself, you say to your kids. Um, so much parenting, in particular strong-armed parenting, arises not out of security in Christ or a right fear of the Lord, but out of a fear of how our children may turn out if we don't micromanage and control them, which I totally get. Chief micromanager, chief controller, here. So yes to reasonable rules, yes to discipline, yes to being careful, but yes also to shepherding the hearts of our children with grace and love and patience that points their hearts and minds to Christ. Where, where we aim only at behavior, we create people pleasers and we create hiders. Tell you what, when they get away from your home, when they go to college, they don't have to they don't have to hide anymore. They may hide from you, but they're not hiding while they're at college. Here's the last thing. I cannot stress this too much. Here's my conclusion. Aim at developing a relationship of dialogue and mutual respect with your children over the years while they are still in your home. You don't have to agree on everything, but everything must be fair game for conversation. Whether you agree with them or not, they've got to be heard. It's difficult. More difficult for some than others, but it is necessary if we hope to see Christ formed in our children. So that's my biggest thing. Set the table. Set the table and start doing it while they're little in your home. Let me pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.